Welcome to JourneyWithJesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. Our essay this week for Easter is called Ours the Cross, the Grave, the Skies. It's a guest essay by Rebecca Lyman, Garrett Professor of Church History Emerita from the Church Divinity School of the Pacific in Berkeley, California. Rebecca Lyman is an Episcopal priest. She's written various books and articles on ancient Christianity and lives with her husband and children in Woodside, California. Raised in the Midwest, she has a particular interest in landscape and spirituality. Rebecca's essay is based upon the lectionary readings for Easter Sunday, April 24, 2011. When we light the fire at the Easter vigil, or greet the morning dawn at the Easter sunrise service, I like to think that darkness and death are not only overcome, but redeemed with us into the arms of God. The beauty of darkness is deepened by the light of Christ, and death is now only part of our physical journey home. God has become all in all. I learned this from Ansel Adams as well as from St. Paul. In his black and white photographs, Ansel Adams portrayed the whole range of tones from deepest black to purest white. Black and white are not oppositions as much as ends of a continuous range of light. His development technique overcame the limitations of the photographic paper to reproduce more closely the ratio of the human eye. We see much more than what a camera could reproduce. In his photographs of Yosemite snow and granite, Adams revealed to us what we physically see. Our minds and eyes are no longer disconnected. In Adams' photographs, we see light spread throughout the zones of black and into white again. On Easter, the resurrection stories of Jesus connect our eyes and hearts to our minds as Gethsemane becomes the Garden of Eden. We've spent a week soaked in pain, separation, betrayal, and fatal suffering. What our hearts sought, our eyes did not find in the awful torture and death of Jesus. None of this was what should have happened to a good man in Jerusalem. The male disciples flee, and the women disciples stay, but all see nothing but the relentless victory of death. Now in the early morning, the women encounter grief and joy as the darkness of the tomb gives way to light as dazzling as snow and lightning. The places that we knew were empty of hope are now filled with divine presence. And the world as a whole has been remade new. We go to the garden looking only to be near our lost beloved and find ourselves embraced by love itself. This is the night we pray in the Easter Vigil when Israel came out of Egypt, when all who believe in Christ are delivered, when Christ broke open the bonds of death, this is the most holy and blessed darkness where restoration and healing come from Christ, the morning star, who knows no setting, 
He who gives his light to all creation. These places in ourselves that we avoid are exactly where God makes a home. What we consider to be tombs of buried hope and dreams become the gardens of God's renewal. The sharp realities of suffering, death, and grief are essential to the continuum of love and joy at Easter. Their very darkness is what causes the light of resurrection to dazzle. A powerful Orthodox icon shows Jesus pulling Adam and Eve out of their tombs as reality is reversed, and death no longer can keep us captive, instilling despair and nihilism. Death has no dominion after resurrection. Philip Pullman in his books is eloquent about the relief one feels in no longer straining to believe in the fables of Christianity. One can be honest at last. And yet Rowan Williams pointed out that Christianity is simple, but never simplistic. Rowan Williams writes, You only get anywhere near the truth when all the easy things to say about God are dismantled so that the image of God is no longer just a big projection of your self-centered wish-fulfillment fantasies. And what is left? Either you sense you were confronting an energy so immense and unconditioned that there is no adequate words for it, or you give up. I like to think of creation and resurrection as this immense energy that moves and illuminates our ordinary life rather than verbal propositions to be affirmed or denied. Doctrines do not satisfy us. Life in God does. Walt Whitman could have written the following poem about seeing believing regarding Easter morning. Listen to Whitman's words. Of the terrible doubt of appearances of the uncertainty after all that we may be deluded, that maybe reliance and hope are but speculations after all, that maybe identity beyond the grave is a beautiful fable only, maybe the things I perceive, the animals, plants, men, hills, shining and flowering, flowing waters, the skies of day and night, colors, densities, forms, Maybe these, as doubtless they are, only apparitions, and the real something has yet to be known. To me, these and the like of these are curiously answered by my lovers, my dear friends, when he whom I travel, when he whom I love travels with me, or sits a long while holding me by the hand. When the subtle air, the impalpable, the sense that words and reason hold not, surround and pervade us, then I am charged with untold and untellable wisdom. I am silent. I require nothing further. I cannot answer the question of appearances or that of identity beyond the grave, but I walk or sit indifferent. I am satisfied. He, a hold of my hand, has completely satisfied me. Mary Magdalene goes to the garden seeking her teacher and finds not a new revelation, but the one whom she loves. 
The stories of the resurrection appearances are not philosophical arguments, but rather affirmations of unbroken relationships within divine reality. Only something so ordinary as the sight and sound of your lost friend could be this holy. We've come looking for nothing else. Love in its incredible tenacity and mysterious appearances walks with us in our grief and skepticism. Only in its light from birth to death do we begin to understand the ranges of existence seen and unseen. This is almost what my father said to me in his last months of dying this year from prostate cancer. He said, I may be gone, but the love continues. This year brings me a strange Easter in being an orphan for the first time. I'm still a preacher's kid, and I will miss my dad's Methodist enthusiasm which soaked my childhood Easter's in Wesley's hymns, new dresses and hats, the smell of lilies, and finding the first crocus under the Midwestern snow. My grieving in his painful absence feels to me like Henry Vaughan's deep but dazzling darkness, bewildering and yet utterly bound up in the mystery of love which does not let us go. To celebrate Easter is to know that the cross can be the tree of life, and utter despair can yield to joy. This is the deep renewal that we receive from each other and from our world each day. We are free to live, free to act in ways that bring God's justice and forgiveness to all those caught in suffering and despair. Through Jesus, the darkness is now full of grace, and failing mortals are loved into eternity. In seeing our death, we now see life everlasting. In darkness, we see the presence of light. In our bloody and blessed world, we see everywhere the face of our beloved. In the words of Charles Wesley, made like him, like him we rise. Ours the cross, the grave, the skies. A Guest Essay for Easter by Rebecca Lyman For books this week, I review a novel by Paul Harding called Tinkers, New York Bellevue Literary Press, 2009, 191 pages. Paul Harding was born in 1967. He took six years to finish college, and then spent ten years as a drummer with the rock band Cold Water Flat. Then, at the age of 30, he decided to write, and so he enrolled in a summer class at Skidmore College, where by luck his teacher was the Pulitzer Prize winner Marilyn Robinson. Following Robinson's advice, he earned an MFA at Iowa Writers' Workshop. Like many debut novels by rookie writers, though, Tinker's lay dormant in Harding's desk for several years, was rejected by numerous publishers, eventually published by a small press that had been in business for only a few years, was ignored by many reviewers, and then in its first year sold only 7,000 copies. That was all before it won the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction in April 2010.
Tinker's is not a plot-driven novel. Rather, it's a disjointed and dreamy meditation by 80-year-old George Washington Crosby, who struggles to take stock of his life as he hallucinates in and out of consciousness during the last week of his life. George especially wants to see his father, Howard, again, who abandoned his family when they tried to commit him to an insane asylum because of his epileptic seizures. In another chapter, we meet Howard's own father, a Methodist minister plagued by dementia. As George repaired clocks for 30 years, the metaphor of a mechanistic universe plays a central role in the novel. Indeed, we read how George, quote, realized that the silence by which he had been confused was at all of his clocks having been allowed to wind down, just like his own life was winding down to eternal silence. Paul Harding's run-on sentences, several more than a page long, distracted me. Some vocabulary felt overwritten, but he excels in describing ordinary objects in haunting family memories with a sense of the sacred, like his favorite pipe rack, an oil painting on the wall, or a carpet on the floor. It breaks the heart, Howard says, that although we are not at ease in this world, is it all we have, that it is ours, but that it is full of strife, so that all we can call our own is strife. But even that is better than nothing, after all, isn't it? And as you split frost-laced wood with numb hands, rejoice that your uncertainty is God's will, in his grace toward you, and that is beautiful, in part of a greater certainty, as your own father always said in his sermons and to you at home. And as the axe bites into the wood, be comforted in the fact that the ache in your heart and the confusion in your soul means that you are alive, still human, and still open to the beauty of the world, even though you have done nothing to deserve it. And when you resent the ache in your heart, remember, you will be dead and buried soon enough. Paul Harding, who won the Pulitzer Prize for the novel Tinkers, For film this week, I review a British movie called Another Year. Tom and Jerry are about 60 years old. They aren't flashy, wealthy, or in particularly good shape. Their London flat is comfortably cluttered. They garden together and enjoy their 30-year-old son, John. They tease each other with easygoing and self-effacing banter and know that as someday, as Tom puts it, will be history. In short, they exude that elusive quality of an authentic equanimity about life and a genuine happiness with each other. But everyone else in this movie is miserable, but for the empathy and uncritical acceptance bestowed upon them by Tom and Jerry. Mary is a divorced and deeply needy narcissist filled with self-hatred, self-pity, denial, and despair. Tom's boyhood friend Ken is a chain-smoking alcoholic whose t-shirt reads, Less Thinking, More Drinking. 
Brother Ronnie is widowed, badly alienated from his son Carl, and has never moved beyond his blue-collar existence. Writer and director Mike Lee has crafted a poignant exploration of aging in the context of marriage and family. And to accentuate the movement of time, he marks his film with spring, summer, autumn, and winter. The title of the film, which I can recommend, is a great film, Another Year from 2010. And for Easter Sunday, we've posted a poem by George Herbert. Herbert lived from 1593 to 1633. The title of the poem, Easter Wings. Lord, who createst man in wealth and store, though foolishly he lost the same, decaying more and more till he became most poor, with thee, O oh, let me rise as larks harmoniously, and sing this day thy victories. Then shall the fall further the flight in me. My tender age in sorrow did begin, and still with sickness and shame thou didst so punish sin, that I became most thin. With thee let me combine, and feel this day thy victory. For if I imp my wing on thine, affliction shall advance the flight in me. George Herbert, Easter Wings. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Easter Sunday, April 24th, 2011. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.